0: Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Hell's Bay Boatworks, and Orvis Fly Fishing. Over 150 years ago, my family settled in the Tampa Bay area. My great grandfather was a mullet fisherman who made his living on the water long before the city came to be all that it is today. Since then, a lot has changed. Recently, I got a chance to fish on those same waters with Brian Jill, a local captain who I was familiar with from his film work with Geofish and Fisher Die. Brian and I spent a very cold day on the water, pulling for skittish redfish over white sand surrounded by large skyscrapers. After we warmed up, we sat down at a nearby park to discuss how Brian first got into fly fishing, film, and what he has learned from chasing fish all around the world. Brian even shares a cautionary tale about getting robbed along the road in Central America. I always learn a ton from spending time with guys like Brian, who have an intensity towards what they do and a strong desire to understand all that is happening around them. I hope that you enjoy, this is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you, you know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And then it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is is what we need, and especially in this day and age.
1: If you have a fly rod in your hand, it's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully
0: wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts.
1: No one else knew anything anyway, and you just just definitely making enough are going along. But.
0: So, what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is, like, all right, where's an old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? At? So, look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's going to be. All right. Hey, Brian, thanks so much for hanging out with me this morning. And I enjoyed getting out on the water and having my most successful
1: Tampa Bay trip. Right on, man. Thanks for having me. It was a little chilly this morning, but uh, (laughs) we found some fish that wanted to eat. So
0: that's what was important. Yeah, very chilly this morning for for both of us. But before we um, I'm really excited to talk to you about kind of fishing you know, really high pressure areas and, um, really tips on that and how to do that well. And I also want to talk about some travel and just some of, some of your background, but before we get into all that, how did you first get into fishing and guiding?
1: Um, <clears throat> absolutely. I'm looking forward to talking about all of that stuff. And, uh, as far as getting into fishing goes, you know, I had a lot of, um, a lot of influence from family members, from one uncle in particular, along with some of other, other cousins that, live in the area that took me out as a kid. Uh, But one uncle in particular, my Uncle Dick, he was really the one person that influenced me to get into fly fishing. And he taught me about it when I was about 11 years old, gave me a fly rod, told me to go in the backyard, showed me how to cast. And he said, keep doing this. And if you get good at it, then you can can fish this way, Mm -hmm. you know, it'll work. But I didn't know anything about saltwater fly fishing at the time, it was more about going out and fishing for bass and fishing for, uh, for bluegill and that sort of thing. But he's the one that got me into just regular spin fishing as well in the area and, and fly fishing ultimately.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so for you, how old were you when you first started throwing a fly rod?
1: Uh, probably about 11.
0: Okay, and then w- when did you make that shift of wanting to go from, okay, this is a fun way to fish to this is what I wanna do with my life?
1: I think it was after I moved to Colorado Um, you talk to most fishermen out in Colorado and they're most likely going to be fly fishermen, or at Mm. least that's the way they target fish. Um, so that's really where I got into fly fishing, like using it repeatedly. And I started guiding when I was in, in college in Estes park. I, I guided for a couple seasons and, you know, I got my feet wet then and just kind of cut my teeth guiding out in the Rocky mountains and I enjoyed it. You know, I was I was kind of low on the totem pole because I was, you know, new into a shop that I was working through. So I had to take out a lot of beginner trips and teach people how to, you know, cast before we'd go out and fish the creeks and stuff, trying to catch uh, rainbows and browns and and brook trout and stuff. And uh, I think at the time it was a little annoying just because I had to deal with that aspect of it. But at this point in my life, I've found that I enjoy that part of it just as much as going out and catching a bunch of fish with somebody that's super experienced because yeah. I get to see in their eyes how I felt, you know, getting started in the sport. And mm-hmm. I didn't really have too many people to, to, to teach me all the way through. I had to learn a lot on my own. Um, but I think just that element of it is, 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 is really what does it for mm-hmm. me. I mean, I love going out and catching fish, don't get me wrong, but, but trying to get people started and just seeing that look in their eye when they figure it out, or they catch their first fish on fly is mm-hmm. uh, pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, what what do you feel like is essential with young anglers? Like, what are you really trying to instill in them out the gate?
1: Patience, dedication, um, persistence. Mm -hmm. I think those are the three main things for sure. Mm -hmm. And awareness of your surroundings and trying to read the water, um, trying to figure out what kind of flies to use, essentially, and um, how to approach the water. Mm -hmm. So, So what all did you do when
0: you were in Montana?
1: uh Colorado. Oh, Colorado. Yeah, yeah. So when I was in Colorado, I went to school uh, in Fort Collins at CSU mm-hmm. and um I just kind of bummed around. I mean, I I got the uh the mountain biking bug, I got the uh snowboarding bug, I got mm-hmm. the fly fishing bug and all of those things <laughs> combined and together. Broke. And then yeah. I got broke real quick. <laughs> I racked up quite a bill while I was at college, but um <clears throat> thankfully that since paid off and uh and uh you know, going out to Colorado was one of the best things that I could have possibly ever done because mm-hmm. it gave me a lot of opportunities and I met a lot of of people who I'm still friends with and and uh, some of those friends are part of the reason why I moved into filmmaking mm-hmm. and traveling down to Patagonia and making our first film mm-hmm. and um I think it opened a lot of doors for me going mm-hmm. out there w- What about
0: those relationships? do you feel like? led you to wanting to kind of chase after that
1: as far as like uh filmmaking and starting to do all that stuff yeah yeah um I I guess it was just the the uh the adventure or just kind of going out into the unknown and that was part of moving out to Colorado Mm -hmm. was it was going out to do something completely different Mm -hmm. to experience something completely unknown to me um which I thought I would like you know obviously I'd been out there prior and and I enjoyed myself. But as far as traveling around the world goes and going to different destinations that I've never been, where they might speak a different language, a completely different culture, it was just having that experience of something Mm. completely different. Um, So yeah, those relationships that that I made early on definitely influenced that move.
0: Yeah, so talk to me about going from Colorado to kind of getting into film and then ultimately getting into guiding
1: where you are today. So, I think Colorado helped to install, I think Colorado helped to instill the love for adventure, Mm -hmm. Um, which for me didn't lead me necessarily into filming. Mm -hmm. But our first trip that we planned to do down in Patagonia was actually going to be like a scientific endeavor where we were going to go down and we were going to work with the Wild Salmon Center and we were going to do stream surveys and essentially hook and line sampling. And this was how we were gonna help fund this trip. Well, what it ended up turning out to be was we all just have to sell everything we own and throw it into a bucket and go down to Patagonia <laughs> and let's bring some cameras because we know it's gonna be one insane trip. You'll mm-hmm. be down there for five months, right? So we just kind of learned on the fly how to film. Like none of us were, mm-hmm. were, um, were educated in, in, in filmmaking. Um, you know, we've had some classes in photography and we all kind of had a basic grasp on that, but, mm-hmm. uh, as far as filmmaking goes, no, nothing at all. We just kind of figured it out.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your first kind of, I guess, step was, was doing that whole like salmon deal, but how did it evolve from there? Just for maybe those who are listening who haven't followed fish or die or geofishing.
1: Well, just the majority of us had a background, you know, in snowboarding and surfing and skateboarding me in particular, uh, and some of the other guys did as well. And all of those sports sort of had a film style that went with it. That was it, it either it was an adventure style or it was just guys out bombing down a hill or doing tricks or whatever. And it just kind of seemed like the world of fly fishing didn't really have that yet. Mm-hmm. So for us, it seemed like it made perfect sense to try to create something along those same lines, mm-hmm. just entertainment essentially. Um, not how to's cause there was already plenty of those. Yeah you know, in the world of fly fishing. So we just wanted to go out and make something fun mm-hmm. for people to watch that was entertaining.
0: And then how did you go from that into kind of guiding? Cause now we're sitting right. in Tampa Bay area and, you know, give well, us a talk of, through there.
1: <clears throat> um, I mean, like I said, I, I, started guiding out in Colorado, but that was kind of pushed to the side because the filmmaking and the production work and everything sort of took over. Um, and it was in between, AEG media, which was the first production company that I was part of and the current motive fishing one that I'm part of. Um, it was that gap in between there that I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I bounced questions off my wife. I was like, you know, should I should I move forward and maybe pursue this this career in fishing? And at the time, you know, I was still pursuing um, my uh, my degree, which mm-hmm. I got in anthropology. So I was doing archaeology as well which was help paying the bills. But I really wanted to be back into fishing. And she's like, well, why don't you start guiding? And I I was like, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, maybe I'll just get my captain's Mm -hmm. license and see how, you know, see where it goes from there. Mm -hmm. Um, Get a boat um, and just, you know, see what happens. And at the same time, I was juggling, once we started motive fishing, I was juggling, juggling other video productions and guiding when I was back home. So it kind of started to work together Mm -hmm. because I could create my own schedule guiding, right? So um, it was easy for me to be able to have something to do when I came back home and I had free time. And then when I went out in the field to to shoot a film or something, then I obviously would be busy doing that. So that's sort of how I got into it. It was really my wife just saying, yeah, that sounds cool to me because it was an idea that we started talking about. And it's like, why not? It's like, you're surrounded by water. You love being on the water. Mm -hmm. Why don't you go out and just do it?
0: Yeah of all the leaps that you took in your life. So moving out to Colorado, you know, starting, you know, going down to do this big salmon project, the mm-hmm. conversation you had with your wife, all the different leaps, like what leap do you feel like was the biggest or hardest leap for you
1: to take? The biggest was probably moving out to Colorado because <clears throat> although I had been out there once before, um, It was the same time I was moving out of my parents' house, Mm -hmm. and I was putting everything into a U-Haul and moved out with a couple friends to Colorado, not really knowing what to expect. I mean, I, I still had someone to fall back on. I mean, if I really wanted to, I could have always came back home, but it was the hardest for me to be away from the area that I grew up. Mm -hmm. And I had a blast in Colorado, but I was out there for like five years and it just got to the point where it was like, I need to be back in Florida. Mm -hmm. I miss too much about, you know, the state and and what it has to offer. Um, That was probably one of the tougher moves for sure. I think on top on top of that, the next toughest thing would be just the amount of time that I've spent away from home, especially with my daughter growing Mm -hmm. up and being out on film projects more recently with Fisher die. I mean, we filmed it in almost eight months, I think, but that was 10 full-length episodes and it was on the road nonstop. Mm-hmm. So yeah. so yeah, I mean, that that's just part of what goes along with traveling around the world yeah. and having a family. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> just deal with it, I guess, but definitely difficult.
0: Yeah, well, what do you feel like you learned from that? Because I think what's challenging about that is obvious. It's, you know, time away from your family, there's things you're missing, but in, mm-hmm.
1: in what ways did you feel like you grew from that in a positive way? Absolutely. I grew from it in a positive way. I mean, I know my family loves me. (laughs) That's for sure. Confidence. There's definitely some confidence (laughs) there, yeah. Um, But as far as knowing that I can be away and that things will still just go the way they go when I'm gone and I can expect to come back to the family that I love, and, I mean, ultimately it's just... um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm just grateful. I mm-hmm. just learned how grateful I am for mm-hmm. having the family that I have.
0: Do you feel like it changed your behavior at times when you are home, or, and what what shifts did that kind of manifest I ch- into?
1: I think I cherish things way more than mm-hmm. I ever have, and and realize how special all the the minute little moments are, and mm-hmm. try not to take things for granted. And I think traveling does that for the most part for me. Every time I come back, it's like why the hell do I need all this shit? You know, Mm -hmm. when all you've been living out of a bag for like the last, you know, six months and that Mm -hmm. was perfectly fine. And then you come home and it's like, wow, Mm -hmm. it's a lot more than I really need.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So when it comes to your angling and guiding, how does going on the road and fishing all these different places help you in that realm? Because I think there's a little bit, when I talk to guys who are in similar situations, you know, sometimes it seems like, well, if you really want to get good at fishing, you know, it's as much time on the water as possible mm-hmm. in, in a certain scenario zone. And then there's guys who are like, well, you know, the travel and putting yourself in all these different environments kind of force you to adapt. What do you think? What's your way well,
1: in? yeah, and I think the, the adaptation, that like when we show up at a new place that we're not guided, you know, really any of the places we've been. And it's a matter of just having to figure it out on our own. And with fly rods and you're dealing with, you know, guys that they're there to help you out, to move you around in boats or whoever you have on the ground to help you out. They've never even seen a fly fly rod before, mm-hmm. you know, let alone know how to use one or where you could go catch a fish with one. Mm-hmm. So having to figure that out in every different location you go, it kind of makes your head start to spin mm-hmm. um, because you're going after different species and then coming back home and just going out and fishing for what I truly know is mm-hmm. like such a great relief. Mm-hmm. You know it's like, oh, I can go tarpon fishing. I know exactly where to go. I know exactly what to use. Yeah <laughs> <laughs> So it's it's you know relaxing to go fishing when I'm home and I know I know how to fish the area and I kind of know what to expect. but it's it's different. It's not as um, um, it's not as exciting, I guess. I mean, I still find it exciting, but it's not the same. It's not mm-hmm. like, something brand new to me that I'm trying to crack the code on. Mm -hmm. So it's a different thing completely.
0: Yeah. What do you feel like because when I've talked to different guys who are involved in media which you know I'd like to talk to even more but when I talk to guys who are involved in media there's something about great anglers I've noticed. Like a lot of the guys who are really, really honed in on their craft of being able to guide or, or be just being great anglers get drawn into photography, videography? Like, why do you think that
1: is? It may be because they want to share their experiences with the world, but at the same time, I don't know if that's what it is. I mean, I think they just want to show people what's out there. Um, it's just like with Professional snowboarders, professional skateboarders—they want to show people like what what they're capable of, what they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, whether whether it's to go out and just show somebody the fish you caught, or if it's trying to promote a brand, I think there's a lot of that going on mm-hmm. as well, um, where people are working for companies to you know create content. That's what we were doing with Costa. You know, we mm-hmm. were their content creators, and ultimately that's why we were filming for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think there's different reasons why people do it. I don't mm-hmm. think there's one reason. And yeah. and the guys that are doing it, they're definitely top of their level and top of their class and, and ability to fish because otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, they get, they've gotten to that point and it's like, okay, if you can't cast, you're not going to be on film. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, you know, something that's interesting too about with what you were a part of with, um, you know, Kind of coming into the scene in two thousand six, two thousand seven. Is that right?
1: It was right around there. Yeah, yeah like a earlier.
0: I mean, it's this is pre a lot of the social media that we know today, right where a lot of content, a lot of dollars are being spent by companies to produce stuff, just fifteen second clip of a top water eat for mm. social media or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, what have you seen change, like in 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 the media side of things? What do you think is good? What do you think is bad?
1: I'm not a huge fan of social media, um, but I understand that it's also a necessary evil, especially in the, the industry that I'm in and, um, we're all in, um, but guiding, Mm. it's like, you know, if you're not putting out and showing that you're catching fish, you know, maybe someone is not going to want to go fishing with you or something. So Mm. there's definitely clients that I've gotten from social media. Um, so I understand the benefits of it. But the world seemed like an easier place, I don't know, a different place prior to all this coming in. And um, I don't know if it's ruined it necessarily. It's certainly given people a lot of of opportunities Mm -hmm. and created a lot more positions and jobs for people. So that's that's positive. Um, But I also don't like the aspect of how much it's blown up to so many different places that used to be kind of unknown and not well-known, mm-hmm. and you could go there and not expect it to be, um, I guess, as advertised. Mm-hmm. And now anybody can do it, and there's no there's no regulation. Is like with the photos that I take around here, I try to blur out my backgrounds, or I try to take certain angles to not give away certain spots, and it's not as important as some people that, that promote their stuff on social media. So it just, I don't know, there's good yeah. and bad for sure.
0: Well, what advice do you give to a kid who is 18 19 20 or maybe maybe they're older i don't know it's arbitrary what age they are but somebody who's like you know what i'm i want to be the next generation of media content i want to share my
1: experiences what advice do you give them um i think keeping your keeping your video format to short form is a great way to start and certainly Mm -hmm. on social media is a great thing to do um I don't know. I'm a I'm a fairly humble person when it comes to um, being on video and that sort of thing. So that's usually the sort of mentality that I have that I would hope other people would would uh, would rub off on. It's just mm-hmm. just go out and enjoy yourself. It's just fishing. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really all that it is. And you need to show that excitement and and entertainment in your films that you're making. Unless it's a, I mean, even well, actually, even if it's a how-to. Um, but I wouldn't get so caught up in um, and really being too concerned about what you're shooting. But just mm-hmm. make sure you you don't give away spots. Like, especially if you're filming in Tampa Bay, please don't give away any spots. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, fine, I'll take my, uh, my screenshots down. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I, I wonder, too, that, you know, just because I'm somebody who is young in, in media, is a lot of people are just always grasping for analytics to show that this is working or people are liking this and I feel like you know in 2007 I won't tell you where I was but I wasn't in high school yet (laughs) let alone in you know South America filming but you know you're making great content and I, I just imagine it being a little bit more like you're shooting great content you know you're looking at what you shot and you're thinking they're gonna like this and you're not grasping for as many indicators or whatever. I mean, how do you, how do you feel like that's factored into where everything is analyzed now? And
1: yeah, it, again, I'll, I'll say that I don't really care for social media <laughs> that much <laughs> because it's all numbers based and it all mm-hmm. comes down to that. And it just doesn't feel as real to me anymore. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I know that it's, uh, it's expressing what people have, have liked or disliked, you know, you know, mm-hmm. directly. Um, <clears throat> But I wouldn't be so concerned about that for the up-and-coming filmmaker. I'd be more concerned about trying to create something that's unique. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about those numbers. I mean, try to make, try to make the right connections within the industry mm-hmm. and make good content. And if you do that, then you're probably going to have a decent path to success. Mm-hmm. Because someone's going to know someone that you can help build your career with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be difficult to do it just on your own. So you need to make the right contents. Like for, um, con- you need to make the right contacts. Like for me and us with AG Media, when we first got started, we brought a bunch of gear down. Uh, most of it was, was purchased with our own dollar. I mean, some of it we got discounts for because we were guides, but we brought it down to Patagonia and we made our first film. And we thought, you know, we'll approach these companies after – we film using their gear mm-hmm. in the film. We're not gonna reach out to them and try to get free stuff or money before we can't show them that we can put something together. Mm-hmm. Like, <clears throat> something worth their time. So, um, so that's how we got started essentially, is we brought our, our teaser that was like five minutes long. We brought it to Denver to the fly fishing trade, uh, trade show and showed all these companies mm-hmm. um, on a television screen with a DVD and we brought all these different like heads of the companies over to the Corkers uh, boot booth. Yeah. Which they're the ones that gave us the television to use. And they're like, yeah, you guys can uh, you know, use our booth and show your film. And man, a lot of guys came over and they're like, wow, we haven't seen anything like this before. Um, and then we made a really good relationship with a handful of companies after that. So it's mm-hmm. just making those <clears throat> connections within the industry And trying to come up with something unique.
0: Mm -hmm. And something, you know, I talked to Vince from Skinny Water Culture, and he was one of the main guys to point me your way. He certainly wasn't the only person. And, you know, you're known for having a lot of drive, you know, to try to, you know, keep pushing the ball forward. It takes a lot of drive to go down, film all this stuff. You know, there's a million guys sending emails trying to get funding to go do it. You guys chose to do it, then go find funding. Right. what obstacles do you feel like you've encountered with just trying to keep that drive going and how have you tried to work through those?
1: I don't think there's been, um, a loss of drive, except like, obviously we've had our high moments and low moments. And most of the time that happens while we're on a trip and we might've broken down somewhere and we're stuck in the middle of nowhere and we're trying to deal with it, but that's, I don't think that's what you're asking about. I think it's more like,
0: yeah, I think just like a lot of people, are, they think I have this great idea to go film this thing, record this thing, start this mm. business, whatever product, etc. And then it's not as easy as they thought. And then I they got to keep pushing through all those low moments.
1: Oh yeah. No, there's, there's so many roadblocks that we've ran into trying to go to one destination or another, whether it's film permits or just trying to, Um, gain access to an area that's super remote and you you feel like it's impossible and then the next day you find the right guy or you Mm -hmm. talk to the right person or the door opens and and it becomes more possible. You just have to always tell yourself that anything is possible because if you try hard enough at it, it really will be. I mean, I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but Mm -hmm. anything you, you really apply yourself to, you can make happen. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's on, <clears throat> on the other side of the world and you're trying to plan like a two month long expedition in Mongolia and you're trying to figure out how you're going to get from point A to point B, there's someone there that can help you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a matter of putting in the time, ultimately, sitting in front of the computer and doing the research and making tons of phone calls and trying to figure out, you know, who's going to be willing to help me. So mm-hmm. it's just, it, yeah, it, it's, it's difficult at times and you, you want to just throw your computer out the window because things aren't coming together. But um, at the end of the day, there's a lot worse things you could be doing.
0: Yeah, and I guess this is, this is a little bit of a Hail Mary question, but you know, I meet so many people who want to do this, want to do this, and then I get the opportunity to sit down on, on podcasts with people who have really been able to accomplish a lot and create a lot of great you know, content that they desire to create. What do you feel like is the biggest difference between guys who want to and guys who do?
1: I mean I think it comes back to the 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 word drive that you used. I mean mm-hmm. there's I think a lot of people that I've met want to do it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but they don't realize that they can. Mm-hmm. They they're they're tied down by so many different things in their life whether it's a family or kids or financial whatever they don't think that it's possible for them to go out and do that. And they don't really have a pathway, but fortunately for me I had um I have three other guys that i was building this with Mm -hmm. and we all had a very passionate drive all kind of coming back to the you know the the fly fishing industry and our love for fly fishing and and travel and adventure and we kind of fed off one another really Mm -hmm. i mean we kind of pushed each other um to make things happen so i think that's really why it worked
0: Mm. just kind of shifting gears here a little bit. One of the main things I wanted to talk to you about was kind of from the local side of things, just working in a fishery that is so highly populated, Mm a lot of press pressure, um, just kind of on the, on the front end of things of this conversation. Can you give us a rundown of the challenges that Tampa Bay (laughs) faces?
1: Yeah. I mean, Tampa Bay has a lot of challenges that they need. It needs to overcome. Um, Tampa, St. Pete, Clearwater, um, Bradenton, I mean, all, this, all these cities that are surrounding the bay, they all take part in the water quality here and <clears throat> whether it's good or bad and um, the outdated infrastructure and everything that, that causes poor water quality, um, high phosphate and, and nitrogen content in the water and algae blooms and all that sort of stuff. Mm. That's weighing down pretty heavily on the system. But on a positive side, I think you know, being surround, surrounded by over 3 million plus people, we have an incredible fishery here. I mean, it mm-hmm. really is spectacular. Um, from tarpon fishing to redfish, they may be some of the spookiest redfish on the planet, <laughs> but they're they're pretty good size. I mean, they're not like Louisiana size, but they're a hell of a lot of fun and it's clear water and um, it, they'll test your, your patience and your ability for mm-hmm. sure with a fly rod. Um, but then there's so many other things to go after as well. But yeah, living around here, living around the city in this lifestyle, it, there's a lot of pressure on the water. There's mm-hmm. a lot of other fishermen out. There's a lot of other guides. Um, there's way too many jet skiers. <laughs> um, and there's tons of pleasure boaters and it, it's hard to get away from people at times. But you know, you know, if you go out on the weekdays, which is typically what I try to do. Um, you can find some solitude. You can find some happy fish. You can still get into mm-hmm. them. They're here. I mean, there's plenty of fish to go after. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think most of my listeners are dealing with fisheries that have, you know, it's all subjective, but, you know, high pressure. What, what advice do you have for people who are working or trying to have success in high, high pressure areas?
1: Small flies and tiny tippet. <laughs> <laughs> No, not necessarily. It's, um, you gotta, you have to just spend your time and learn new spots. Like if you run out and you keep fishing the same spots over and over again, someone else is going to see you fishing it. They're going to slide in there they're going to start fishing it. And then you're going to have more guys on one spot. So, you know, jump around a little bit. If you see some other boats in the area that usually fish, go try something different, you know, mm-hmm. go somewhere else, um, go explore a little bit, something that you might not know about.
0: Mm-hmm. What's your mentality if, if you're, you're kind of trying to scout out a new area, how do you like to go about that process?
1: Usually it's not with a client, <laughs> but, but sometimes it is, you know, yeah. I, sometimes they'll want to go check it out too. If I say, Hey, there's some guys over in this spot, let's go try something new. Um, some guys are down for that, but you just got to put your time in. I mean, really, you got to see that spot throughout the tide cycle and see what, you know, what the fish do because mm-hmm. um, it's going to look totally different from you at low tide than it does at high. So, you know, there's definitely spots that fish better for me on one tide or the other, mm-hmm. just like everybody. So um, you got to see the whole cycle.
0: Do you factor into um, when you're planning for a trip? Like I'm guessing if, if you did have a Saturday trip or a Sunday trip, you're going to go different places than if you had a Tuesday trip. What are what are some of the other kind of little nuances that you have in your business which is trying to work through the the pressure of so many anglers
1: well i think timing's key too like some of the ramps that i use there have limited parking um it pays to show up a little earlier Mm -hmm. so you make sure you get a spot at the ramp um just the traffic in the in this area like trying especially during the week trying to beat work traffic Mm -hmm. and then not trying to come back in it so you just either spend a really long day on the water. or you spend a half day and you come back like midway through. Um, that, that's just one of the small things. Um, I mean, usually I'm trying to fish during the, the weekday, during tarpon season, because it's, you know, it's in areas that a lot of people want to go out to on the weekends and mm-hmm. that's where they go spend their time off and there's just too much traffic on the water, it's impossible. I mm-hmm. mean, It's not to say that I haven't caught fish on Memorial Day weekend, um, tarpon wise, but it's difficult, you know, yeah. it puts the fish down.
0: Yeah. That, that makes, um, complete sense. One of the things I know that you've done too, is you've kind of tried to work with guides in, in this area, even though it's really, really large, at least comparatively to, you know, the panhandle in places that I normally fish, you know, what, what does that look like for you trying to build up kind of groups of guides and trying to work together to, to help each other be successful?
1: Yeah. So there's, um, there's four other guides that I'm working with now and we've kind of formed up this small little association called Tampa fly guides. We have a website and mm. Instagram page and we just kind of all throw our, throw our media that we collect from the area into our Instagram page and try to, um, to get group charters, just build up the area for guiding, um, uh, for us. And, um, they're guys that I've known since I started like the long, the guys that I, the guys that I have known the longest since I've been in this area fly fishing that have been guides, we've been mm-hmm. working together and friends and sharing information and. You know sharing trips if one guy's booked one day and can't take a trip then he'll pass it mm-hmm. off to one of the other guys and kind of help each other out that way and uh, really we're just friends I mean we'll call each other and just find out how their families are doing and mm-hmm. we're just we're close like that so um, it's a good relationship and, and we plan on continuing to do it yeah
0: what, what do you feel like makes that relationship good because I've met a lot of people guides and anglers who are a little bit kind of maybe burnt from sharing information or working together they just kind of want to lone wolf be mm-hmm. alone what do you feel like has been some of the positives and what do you feel like makes that work makes it healthy
1: i think we all have a lot to give to one another i mean especially clientele obviously but um as far as information goes i mean we all fish different areas we're not mm-hmm. like on top of one another all fishing out of the same area one guy lives down in bradenton uh, another guy fishes the nature coast. I mean, we're all kind of spread out a little bit, but Tampa is kind of what we consider to be our home base. Um, <clears throat> so oh, I'm not sure where I was going with that, <laughs> but I, I think just the connect, the relationships that we've built over the past 10 years, um, we see them continuing into the future and we see Um, bringing down more group charters and we see trying to to build this into something better because being a lone wolf guide is not something that's easy i mean especially this day and age when with you know pandemic and stuff happening there's a lot fewer trips Mm -hmm. going around um having some other guys to work with definitely can help you know i mean it's i'm not really sure what else yeah (laughs) no no i think that's
0: good and um you know, you, you had kind of said something, I guess, that that I was thinking through, too. You know, you guys have different zones, but you all consider Tampa Bay as a home base, and I know you're not afraid to travel around and kind of get outside of, you know, your regular routines to try to find fish. Um, you know, what what's the... Uh, What's the advantage to being next to a a major metropolitan area? Because I think everybody knows the disadvantages, the jet skis, the you know, we know that, but what are are like the huge advantages that you feel like maybe are sitting there?
1: Well, in a, in a normal non pandemic year, then, you know, it's easy enough to say that you have tourists coming in and out of here nonstop. So Mm -hmm. there's always people, potential clients coming in that want to go out and fish and that, that makes it super helpful, but. Um, and hopefully it'll get back to normal soon. I expect it will. Um, so to answer your question, yeah, I mean, having that much turnover of new Mm -hmm. people coming into an area is phenomenal for Mm -hmm. a a business. I mean, any business you have, you need people to come in and go shopping or you need people to come in and go fishing, you know, whatever the case may be, they're on vacation and they want to go out. It also leads to, um, having, you know, just more population to pull mm-hmm. clients from and, you know, having local clients and stuff, but it's, I mean, this past year, I've gotten more local clients than I ever have because yeah. people aren't traveling and they want to go out in the water and do something. Um, so that's been huge. And I, serious respect. And I, I hope I'm continuing to be, you know, close friends and, and, uh, and guide for these guys, um, for as long as possible because they're all great clients that I've, I have recently uh, acquired. So, Um, yeah, it definitely helps to be around a populated area.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that one of the things that you enjoy about guiding is taking people who are newer to the sport and, you know, helping coach them up. And I think that when you have a relationship with somebody who lives locally, you're able to just kind of interact with that person in a different way. What does it look like for you to try to coach up, um,
1: clients that you have locally? How do you kind of get the most out of that? Um, I've taken it from the very beginning to someone that's never held a fly rod in their hand or really had any experience whatsoever with fly fishing to providing them with the equipment um, because I'm a distributor for loop fly fishing. So um, selling them a rod and a reel, um, sitting down with them at this park actually and tying up flies with them and mm-hmm. showing them a couple patterns, you know, that that's proven I've worked around here for redfish, trout, whatever. And then taking them out on the water after doing a casting class in the park um, and just watching their progress. And this one guy in particular, he picked it up really well. um, And we went out on the boat for a a half day trip. And we went out and caught some trout and some mackerel. Mm -hmm. And he had a ball. I mean, he had like, it seemed like the best day fishing (laughs) ever. And he didn't even care if he caught anything. He just wanted to go out and, and experience it. So it was fun for me because. I mean somebody just getting started they obviously don't have super high expectations but when they actually can realize that what they're working toward works mm-hmm. is paying off then it's just it's that much better you know
0: yeah are you ready for some rapid fire questions i guess so yeah i'm, I'm notoriously the <laughs> uh the worst rapid fire question but i just haven't I haven't rebranded that uh, segment of the show. Okay, so I've never effectively done it. I'll so.
1: probably be the worst rapid-fire answer. Yeah, so.
0: it's just it's just a transition point for me. Um, so, a couple questions I have. One is, you know, you have a you have a daughter now, and she's eight. You said, yeah. In what ways do you feel like being a father has impacted you as a filmmaker and in a guide?
1: Um, it's it's made filmmaking. Um, I guess more difficult to do because I can't be gone as long mm-hmm. um, for any of the projects that I've worked on in the past. Like it started with f- uh, five-month-long projects and now it's like two-week-long projects. Mm-hmm. But I've also gotten better at it. So I think I've become more efficient. It's, it's, it's required me to become a more efficient mm-hmm. person. Yeah. Um, and then as far as guiding goes, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, I need to guide as much as possible. But with my wife, she works as well with her working from home, it's difficult for her to juggle my daughter and her work at the same time. So mm-hmm. if I'm not on the water every week, every day of the week, it's fine. You know, I'm there at home to help. So yeah.
0: Yeah. That makes perfect If I'm not on
1: the water, I'm at home.
0: Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Um, you know, one of the things that Vince told me about you is that you are one of the most, if not the most prepared <laughs> captains that he's ever been around, which I feel like Says a lot because, uh, you know, he's been around a lot of captains and stuff. What are some general tips you have on preparation?
1: I think about stuff too much. Um, I'm pretty, I don't know, analytical minded, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just like, I'm constantly, I'm like laying in bed just like nonstop thinking about things. Like you should see me when I go on a trip. Like my bag is so like organized. It's ridiculous. It's probably too much. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, for me it it makes me an efficient person like what I'm doing. I don't want to have to deal with it when I'm out somewhere. I just want it to be easy, like easy to find something. If it's just that simple, like my boats organized, like my mm-hmm. hatches, everything inside there, I know where it's at, then it just makes life that much more easier for me when I'm trying to catch fish or, you know, provide, you know, a good service for somebody going out of my boat with me. I just want to make sure that everybody's mm-hmm. comfortable. Kind of like the jacket you put on today. I know. I was going to say it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I showed up to Tampa Bay without three jackets. (laughs) Why would I bring more jackets than what I had? No, I mean, yeah, and that was something that was funny because Vince had told me that, and then I'm on the boat today, and I'm like, man, I wish I had brought my other jacket. And you're like, I have another jacket. It's your size. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) But I think that that's something that, you know, that kind of, I guess, overthinking or or just thoroughly thinking, I think is Mm -hmm. something that, you know, it served me today, but it serves clients, and I'm sure it's helped you avoid a lot of things on the road on big trips um has that been something Absolutely. you've always had or is that I've, something did it take I've did it always, take to something to make that happen
1: i've been deemed the the technician uh, if you will like on trips like i've bailed people out on more different things on so many different things on trips because i just had something like mm-hmm. when we were on fish or die one of the the production guys brought along or he didn't realize it but they gave him a computer from the company and it had the wrong power cord
0: mm-hmm. so there
1: was no way to dump media in the field because his macbook had the wrong power cord adapter mm-hmm. and it was just off it was like a maybe like a newer model uh, power adapter but i had like a diamond file and i was able to file down the edge of the plug itself and it fit in there and so we had power <laughs> for the laptop it's like okay well what would we have done <laughs> yeah how would this production even work if we didn't figure something out. So, but yeah, it's just, it's stuff like that. Like, I don't know. They, they call me the MacGyver or whatever. And I, I hate that term, but I I don't know. I'm, I I just love like working on things and I just have that mindset where I'm just trying to figure out, um, a solution to problem. I don't know.
0: So if, if I invite you to come up to our area and fish redfish, what is, what is in your MacGyver (laughs) backpack, sidekick, whatever? Um, what are, what are some of those kind of, you must have, prepared items beer
1: uh
0: <laughs> you don't have to worry about that but <laughs> yeah, yeah that one's taken care of yeah
1: um i think it'd be just be the normal um normal equipment wise i mean i guess it would depend on the situation um i don't have to worry about like any parachutes or like bivy parachutes shelters or yeah. anything like that i hope not <laughs> <laughs> you got beer <laughs> who needs a shelter when you have beer <laughs> that's it that's it. Everything's good. Um, I don't know. I think it's really uh, dependent on where I'm like where I'm going and like any of the info that I'd be mm. like researching on the spot like what I would need to bring. It'd be hard for me to figure yeah. that out. I think you'd probably have most of it covered.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, so that that leads to two questions. Anything that like you just don't travel without regardless? I mean, a pocket knife would be an example, maybe, but well, for sure, yeah,
1: no, I mean, I have like an EDC kit that I put together, and it's just like you know, basic stuff. Like, yeah. I'm not like crazy survivalist, but I do like to have stuff at my um, at hand if need be. Mm-hmm. Um, like if I travel in, in jungle environments, I typically have a machete, yeah, <laughs> and a pocket knife. Um, but I'll bring like a Leatherman along with me and that sort of thing. Um, maybe some maybe some tools or something to fix my reel if it breaks, which I never have any issues with. Um, I mean, if I was driving my truck up, you look in the back of my truck and I've got all the tools necessary to repair most things that could go wrong. So, um, but if I'm traveling light, then I try to do so, I mean. Yeah, and you have a bit of a survivor guy truck. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> it is, absolutely, yeah.
0: Yeah, you're ready. <laughs>
1: it's it's like camper dad, survivor man, yeah.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, so this, I guess that leads me to my second question, which is, talk me through the process, like let's just say that I'm the worst planner preparation guy ever and you're trying to mentor me you're like all right hunter slow down I'm going to help you learn how to be better prepared (laughs) talk me through your process of planning for for a trip and let's just let's not say a big trip like a big road trip but just like any type of just successful one day equipment wise yeah equipment and maybe just kind of I mean any any nuggets that you want to throw in there
1: equipment wise I typically I'll make a list on my phone on, on my iPhone, and just the notes section, and I'll just categorize things. I think that's what I've become really good at doing is I make way too many lists, but mm-hmm. they, they, it pays off, dividends. So just categorizing all your fishing gear, categorizing all your camping gear, categorizing food if you're bringing it, whatever, um, clothing, all that stuff. All the trips that I've ever been on, I've always had a list of stuff so that I can check it off to make sure that I had it. Or I can just lay it all out on the floor and be like, okay, that does not need to go because I can live without that and just kind of going through each one thing and analyzing if I really mm-hmm. need it. Because a lot of the trips that I've been on, they've been on, uh, they've been in um, vehicles that only allow you to carry so much stuff. You, yeah. You're weight limited um, and we're already can't carrying a ton of camera equipment. So <clears throat> you have to be very selective with what you bring. Um, but first and foremost, obviously the fishing equipment makes it in and then the beer and then Mm. All the other important stuff. Yeah,
0: <laughs> other forms of concentrated alcohol. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for space purposes.
1: And if that doesn't make it in, we'll just drink the fermented coconut <laughs> milk. <laughs>
0: yeah, I. Um, yeah, and I was I was wondering that too. Do you just use the note on your phone, or be like, the, yeah? My wife is like insane like that, and she likes paper. And she likes to update her list like five or six times before the list is even used to like, she'll like write it in pen and like rip it off the pad and redo it, you know? And <laughs>
1: like. Wow, that's old school, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a notes app that I use. Um, oh, it's just a list app. I can't remember what it's called, but I use it for grocery shopping, but you can make whatever list you want. Yeah. And then the notes, yeah, just the notes. It's fine.
0: Yeah. Um, so over the years with all these different trips that you've been on, have there been any huge fails that sticks out to you that maybe you learn from?
1: hmm it's going to take me a minute there's been so many trips um fails in the sense of well yeah i can think of fails along the way within a trip because like we did that big road trip you know Mm we started in portland oregon and we were trying to drive the bottom of south america and our truck eventually gave up the ghost in peru um it's probably still there in pieces but that's another story um But some of the fails, I think, that happened along the way were just us becoming complacent in, uh, in areas where we got taken advantage of. And mm-hmm. I, I still f- kick myself because it's just like, God, I can't believe that happened. But, like, one instance, we were in Colombia, and we were in, in Bogota downtown, and we were staying at this hotel. And we had to meet up with a couple guys before we <clears throat> got in a small plane to go out into the jungle to go fish for peacocks. And we're hanging out in this like little park right next to the hotel and we've got our truck there and it's got the trailer, you know, it's massive and mm-hmm. it's got guinus on top and kayaks in the back and stuff. And, um, and this random guy walks up to us and we're just kind of chilling in the grass along, alongside the vehicle and he's like, hey, do you guys mind if I get your, your picture next to your truck? And we're all thinking to ourselves and we were totally out of it, out of it for like mm-hmm. just driving like five days straight we're like, yeah, sure, man, yeah, that's no problem. And, and then he was like taking our photo and he kept taking pictures and like jokingly telling us to like, you know, pose different ways or whatever. And we were just kind of goofing off and getting in, in, in yeah. the, the groove. And, and at the same time, what we didn't realize was his buddy was going around the backside of the vehicle and robbing a bunch of shit out of the side of our trucks. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, That's dude.
0: elaborate, though.
1: I know. I know. It was like the last thing we expected. The guy seemed really nice. He once yeah. wanted our photo.
0: He's like, we got more Americans with canoes coming in. You know yeah. the deal. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So um, they ended up getting one of our production cameras and some uh, some film that was on that camera. But fortunately, that was it. Yeah. But That wasn't the only time we'd been robbed. I mean, I, ha- I got held up at Knife Point in Mexico. It was pretty awesome. The other guys were nowhere around me. They were like yeah. inside the Walmart. You know, if anybody's ever seen the, the GeoFish Mexico film, they have a gist of what happened. So it was pretty ridiculous. So you just got
0: held up at, at knife point and you just said, take whatever you want. He,
1: yeah, he was already taking a bag and, and I was getting ready to swing on him and he pulled a steak knife out of his jeans and then his buddy was, he, he was working with another guy had gone through the vehicle and taken a bag that had all of our passports. And one of our production cameras. And Holy was like cow. running off the other direction. And I was helpless. I was by myself. So yeah, I was just like, all right, I'm going to go back to the truck and just protect what we still have. What do
0: you what do, you do <laughs> with the passport thing? I mean, you're like. Um. We, um,
1: we didn't have passports for about a week or so. Actually, we went from where we were in Los Mochis, which is where it happened, mm-hmm. um, north of Mazatlan. We went, we were going to go fish El Salto, the bass lake. Mm-hmm. And um, we're like, well, we can't do anything about it. Until we get to Guadalajara, which was the next major city south, so we just went to El Salto and went bass fishing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's what. In case you're uh, wondering what to do if you're on the road and fish or die, man. <laughs> um, you know, looking looking back at all the the different kind of trips and and starting up your business and you know starting a, a family, what do you feel like has been most formative? It, what's been the most formative thing in your life for you as an angler, but also as a husband and father?
1: I think, um, just being a part of my daughter's life and watching her grow up, um, ultimately has been, um, mm-hmm. getting a chance to travel with them because my wife's from Poland, my daughter's essentially half Polish. We get a mm-hmm. chance to go back, uh, back and forth to Poland and just mm-hmm. spending time with them and traveling, I think has made me a better father. I don't know. Mm-hmm. At least I just enjoy spending time with my family. Yeah. And and traveling with them is is huge and we haven't have been able to do that for a little while so hopefully that's going to change soon.
0: Yeah, I I realized um pretty pretty early on in my marriage that my wife and I loved going on road trips together mm. and I'd kind of I, I don't know, I didn't it, we loved like the actual road tripping piece, like not the destination and mm. You know, it sounds corny, but I realized uh, to make it not corny, I realized what it was, was I was just so not distracted because I'm just driving, you know, the car and I just not on my phone. I'm not even thinking about that type of stuff. I'm just it's just kind of us in the car talking together. Now I have a four year old and one year old, so it's not just us in the car talking. The four year olds pretty nonstop. (laughs) Um, But I totally relate to that of the idea of traveling as a family is definitely made us closer and you know we're we're getting better and better at the gear <laughs> there's <laughs> ever, a lot of if you gear. ever need any
1: pointers just hit me up yeah
0: yeah i definitely picture you as being you know if you're anything like like what you're on the boat you're you're definitely like you know who, need, who needs a snack or what? <laughs> you snack that i'm like at disney world I, i'm like i'm hungry they're like brian's got you
1: as i've as i've gotten a little bit older i've tried to become less less so because yeah. it, it it's a stressful situation to be in it's the, it's the stress stressful spot to be in mm-hmm. con- continually thinking about things so it's been nice just kind of chilling out a little bit on that mm-hmm. <laughs> side of it
0: so you know with all the different people that you fished with i like to ask people this question but wh- what do you feel
1: like makes somebody a great angler <clears throat> i think um awareness ultimately it's awareness i mean yeah you Obviously, you need to be able to cast and you need to be able to um, see fish and that sort of thing. But being able to just read the water and mm-hmm. and help decide where you want to target, you know, certain fish. And mm-hmm. if you're coming into that's especially if you're coming into an area that's new to you. Like, if you're with a group of people and you're trying to figure out something, the more aware you are of what's happening, the better angler you're going to become mm-hmm. in that area. The more you can... Uh, adapt to the situation as well.
0: Hmm. Do you have any upcoming projects or things that that you're excited about in this new season of life?
1: Um, You know, the last big thing we did was Fish or Die, which aired on Animal Planet, and that was an awesome project. It was a lot of fun. Um, But it's been a little while since we did that one, and we haven't done any film projects since. Um, My other company, Motive Fishing, um, me and uh, Chris Owens, we are beginning to host trips down in, in Mexico on the Yucatan side. And we ran a couple trips last year around February, which were a hit. And all those guys want to come back down again that went on those trips. Um, we got a little bit delayed with this pandemic, but um, as things subside, we're gonna start doing it again. So mm-hmm. we'll be filming and, and doing, doing some fun stuff from there. Yeah, that's gonna be incredible. My, my
0: last question, and I like to ask this the guys, is, you know, so there's a, there's a kid loading up his U-Haul, getting ready for Colorado what advice do you give him
1: Colorado or bust <laughs> no i you just got to you got to if that's your dream and you want to go out there and do it you have to make it happen because it's not going to happen on its own i mean even through all the ups and downs you know something good's going to come out of it even if if it's super difficult at times you know there's going to be those high moments that are going to make up for all that so mm. It probably won't be easy. The road never is. Um, you just have to keep pushing yourself to, to live your dreams, really. Hmm.
0: Well, thanks so much for uh, fishing today and, and hanging out. I really enjoyed it, and I look forward to coming down to Mexico.
1: Absolutely, man. It's We'd love to be have awesome. You. Yeah. yeah. Thanks again for the opportunity.
0: Thanks. Thanks again for listening to The Captain's Collective. Please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. We hope that you enjoy This is The Captain's Collective.